0: You had one job. Do you know this expression? You had one job is an expression used when someone had just one simple job, but failed miserably. If you Google you had one job, you'll find pictures like this. (laughs) I've provided a sampling of images, spent a lot of time selecting these. I found that they are mainly of like sign errors. Um, You'll find lots of signs that read like turn left but are pointing to the right or vice versa. Uh, I like this picture of the bananas labeled long yellow things. I feel like that one was on purpose. It's like I want to get on the web, so this is what we're going to do. You know, I'm, I'm not sure if you find it funnier that these images funnier or the fact that I included images or pictures for the sermon. Um, but it's fun, it's fun to laugh at other people's mistakes, right? <laughs> we enjoy laughing at other people's errors and fails. But what about us? What about us? What if we were to put uh, our own epic fails up here on the screen? You know, I know I've had my share um, Our youth are going to Mexico again this year, and I've uh, helped lead that trip many times in the past. Um, And our brother, Cass Kalmodo reminded me just last night that it's probably a good thing that I'm not going again this year. Uh, Many times have I left credit cards, cash, passports in random locations on that trip when I have one job is like to keep, you know, all the money, all the kids' passports... And uh, I basically have lost it a number of times. Thankfully, we, we found it each time, but not after a lot of stress. All of you are wondering, yeah, it is a good thing that you're not going to this year. <laughs> uh, what would you say, though, is your, like, big picture, your one job? If you had to say this is like my main job, my main responsibility in life, what would it be? You know, maybe you just automatically think, well, it's, it's my job, right? It's my career. Um, I consider it my one job to be successful, to be faithful in my job. Um, but then when you reflect, you be, maybe become discouraged. You're like, I'm not really recognized for all my hard work very often, Maybe you're just kind of barely scraping by with your, with your salary and retirement seems like a pipe dream. You're like, I, I kind of had one goal. Like, I tried hard in school, I've tried hard at work, and it seems like I'm failing. More often than not, our, we consider our one job to be an important relationship. So maybe you think, my one job is to be like a good mom. So if I can just be a good mom, I'll be like, you know, job well done at the end of my life. That can cause some anxiety, right? If this is what you're trying so hard to do, to be a good parent, you you fear. What if my kids don't turn out well? What if they hate me when they grow older? Kids, maybe you'd consider your one job just to be good at like one skill or one sport. You're like, if I could just be good, like a good basketball player, a good soccer player, a good runner, then you become discouraged and anxious when it seems like maybe this year I'm one of the worst kids on the team. What do we do when we fear failure? Failure in the things that are most important to us. What can we do? Well, as we consider our fear of failure and what we can do about it, I wanna draw your attention to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy literally means repeated or second law because in this book, Moses repeats the law that you can find in, in Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers, he repeats the law one last time before the people of Israel cross the Jordan and into the Promised Land. But Moses isn't like a flight attendant giving the safety procedures uh, before the plane takes off. He preaches the law. He comes as a preacher and with these last words, Moses tells Israel of the blessings that they will know if they keep the law and the curses that they will experience if they don't keep it, if they fail. You, basically, you see what I'm doing here. In other words, Moses tells Israel, all right, you're about to go into the promised land and you have one job. Love the Lord your God. Be loyal to him. Obey him as an expression of that love. After Moses tells Israel this throughout Deuteronomy, you can, you can read, I'd encourage you, read the beginning of Deuteronomy, he begins to land the plane in Deuteronomy 30, which is where we're going now. We're like at the beginning of Moses' conclusion of his sermon to God's people, where he's been telling them, you have one job, stay loyal to the Lord your God. And these are Moses' last words uh, before he dies. Moses and Israel have been through a lot together over the years. Uh, He he led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea on dry ground, 40 years of wilderness wanderings. So now what do you think Moses will tell God's people after he's preached the law to them before he dies? This is is a big moment. What do you think he'll, he'll say? Well, please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, it's found on page 177, 177 of the Bibles provided. I'd encourage you to have your Bible open. I think it'll help you follow along during the sermon. So listen as I read Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses one through 10. When all these things happen to you, the blessings and curses I have set before you, and you come to your senses while you are in all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and all your soul by doing everything I am commanding you today, then he will restore your fortunes, have compassion on you. And gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Even if your exiles are at the farthest horizon, he will gather you and bring you back from there. The Lord your God will bring you into the land your fathers possessed, and you will take possession of it. He will cause you to prosper and multiply you more than he did your fathers. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all your heart and all your soul so that you will live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. Then you will again obey him and follow all his commands I am commanding you today. The Lord your God will make you prosper abundantly in all the work of your hands, your offspring, the offspring of your livestock, and the produce of your land. Indeed, The Lord will again delight in your prosperity as he delighted in that of your fathers when you obey the Lord your God by keeping his commands and statutes that are written in this book of the law and return to him with all your heart and all your soul. Well, after Moses' retelling of the law, you might expect him to play the part of a motivational speaker or, you know, that, that good coach who says, okay, here we are, people. We've worked really hard to get to this place. Now go out. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's follow God just like he's commanded. Let's obey him just as he has commanded us, and you will be blessed. But that's not quite what we just heard, is it? Now, as Moses concludes these last words, he begins on a downer you're not going to last long there in that promised land. But when you come to your senses and return to the Lord, he will give you the one thing you need most. And Henson, brothers and sisters, like Israel, thousands of years ago, we need to embrace the fact that we had one job and we failed. We Our failures. But in God's kindness, the Lord promises to do the one thing that we cannot do for ourselves. So this morning, I've got some good news for spiritual failures. The Lord promises the one thing necessary. The Lord promises the one thing necessary. But that one thing doesn't come maybe how we would think. Let's consider together the counterintuitive nature of God's promise and our response in three steps. So we're going to walk through these 10 verses in three steps. First, not if, but when, not you, but him, Amen. not duty, but delight, not if, but when, not you, but him, not duty, but delight. That's the roadmap. My prayer is that you will know your need of the Lord this morning and that you will return to him and see how good he is and how he delights to welcome those who return to him. That's my prayer for us. So first, let's consider not if, but when in verses 1 through 2. I'm going to read those verses again. When all these things happen to you, The blessings and curses I have set before you, and you come to your senses while you are in all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul by doing everything I'm commanding you today. Do you see how Moses is speaking of Israel's failure as if it is a foregone conclusion? It's not a matter of. If you rebel against the Lord and are cast out of the land, it's when. I mean, there will be blessings, too. So there will be this golden era in Israel with, under King David and uh, the first part of King Solomon's reign. You have Josiah. So you have some good, good times. These, they will know some of these blessings. But the emphasis here in verse 1 and 2 is they're back outside the land. They're, they're, they know the curses that Moses has just given in chapter 28. Again, this is not the message of empowerment and hope that Israel was looking for right before they crossed the Jordan to go into the promised land, right? Uh, They were hoping for some rah-rah, you know, like, this is going to be great. But the focus here in verses 1 and 2 is not just on the circumstances. It's not just where they are physically, but where their hearts are at spiritually with the Lord. Did you see that? The The passage is not so much about the screw-ups that Israel will be. No, Moses is telling them what's going to happen inside their hearts when they are outside the land. Did you catch that in verse 1? They will come, you will come to your senses. They'll they'll say, what were we thinking? What was going on inside of us? And then look at verse 2. They will return. Did you catch that word? Return to the Lord, and obey him wholeheartedly. Moses is describing Israel's future repentance in verses one and two. This this language of coming to your senses, this language of returning to the Lord God wholeheartedly in obedience, that's, that's repentance. That's how the Bible talks about repentance. They don't, and they won't just, so repentance is not just like recognizing that you're a failure and be like, oh yeah, I'm such a, I I screwed up again. No, Israel doesn't just say, oh, too bad for us. Let's just have some more Babylonian wine while we're here, make the best of it. No, uh, they wake up. They come to their senses. They realize we had one job and we failed. And then they return to the Lord. In obedience. This is what repentance was thousands of years ago, and this, friends, is what repentance is today. It's a wake up, it's a, a coming to our senses, it's a turn from, from self, rebellion against God our Maker, and returning to the Lord in obedience. Now, I just want to be clear about what's going on here. Uh, Moses' last words are not just for the children of Israel who are standing right there in front of him as he's given essentially the sermon to them. It's not just for them. Moses is talking about what will happen generations later. And these words would be read by the exiles of Israel as they suffered outside of the land of promise. What effect do you think it had? On, on those children of Israel then. And what effect have these words had on the many who have wandered from God over the years? They realize, maybe not just by their physical circumstances, as they look at their life around them, but they, look, they examine their heart and they realize, how did I get here? Why have I wandered from such a good God like I have? Perhaps that's you this morning. Uh, You've been living your life your own way, if if you're honest. You've distanced yourself from God. You know, you may be very aware of what's right and what's wrong. You might be very aware of the sins of others. You may even physically come to church, read the scriptures every now and then. But if you're honest with yourself, you have not turned, you haven't returned to the Lord in full obedience and loyalty. One of the things that I think is so interesting about these verses is Moses' description of repentance isn't all that nuanced. He doesn't say, you know, you kind of wake up. You kind of come to your senses and you'll be like, ah, oh, you know, I haven't been as good. I've made a lot of mistakes. You know, I haven't been as good as I maybe should have been. He doesn't say, yeah, when, you, when you return to God, you'll obey him most of the time. No, what, what does the text say? He says, you'll return to the Lord, your God, with all your heart and all your soul by doing everything I am commanding you today. Wow. I think what we see here is biblical repentance is always radical. It's extreme. It isn't content, biblical repentance isn't content to just confess that you have a problem, but it takes extreme steps to walk in obedience with God and his people. It's wholehearted all the heart, all the soul. Maybe if you look at that, you're like, well, I, I hope you, preacher, will nuance it a little bit because that doesn't really sound like my experience of repentance. I think we can, we can grow discouraged. We can be like, but really, but really, who, who repents like that? Um, I think this is when we need to see the overall context of, this, of these verses. Moses isn't saying to the people of Israel, repent, sinners. This is not an imperative like, you gotta do this. Come on, guys, dig deep. You can do it. Give it your all. No, this is a promise. This is something God is going to do. Did you see that? Repentance and faith are gifts that God gives his children that we cannot give ourselves. The Lord is not looking down the corridor of time and being like, oh, good. Some of them, I see, are going to repent. That's great. Uh, I I was wondering if they would. No. This is a promise secured by the Lord himself. The one who scatters his people is the same one who gathers them back. Not just physically, but spiritually. So, don't be discouraged by your weak repentance, Christian. Don't be discouraged. Ask God to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. If we look at ourselves, all we see is, at times, weakness, failures. But ask God, even now, you can ask him, give me a heart holy for you. Wholly committed to you. Uh, Ask God to wake you up. And all who are His, God promises to do this. This is a promise for what God will do for His people. I think we should be encouraged by that today. Uh, The Lord will not lose any that are His. Amen. He's He's not up there wringing His hands hoping that we repent. He gives us the gift of repentance. So what we see here in Deuteronomy, in just the first two verses, is that God promises he's going to bring his children back. Not even our rebellion, not even all our weaknesses and failures can stop what he has in store for those who love him. It only makes sense that it is not a matter of if God will keep his promise, but when? Because God's promises are not dependent on us, but on him. And that's what we're going to consider more of in the second point. Not you, but him. We see this in verses 3 through 8. I'm going to read those verses again. Then, this is after they've been restored, after they've turned back to God. Then he will restore your fortunes. Have compassion on you and gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Verse 4. Even if your exiles are at the farthest horizon, he will gather you and bring you back from there. The Lord your God will bring you into the land your fathers possessed, and you will take possession of it. He will cause you to prosper and multiply you more than he did your fathers. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all your heart and all your soul so that you will live The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. Then you will again obey him and follow all his commands I am commanding you today. We have considered so far that the Lord's promises are not conditioned upon our obedience. Rather, our repentance is a response to his promise. So in other words, the promise of what God's going to do, we respond to that in repentance and obedience. So... It would make sense that right before the people enter the promised land, Moses doesn't give them a list of rules. Like, okay, let's just go over this one more time. You guys, like, like, can, can you guys say the Ten Commandments for me all together now? No. I mean, that's in Deuteronomy as well. But again, he's landing the plane here. He's concluding. He's, he, he's saying he's not giving them a list of rules. He's giving them a list of promises. Did, did you notice that in verses 3 through 7? It's not what they need to do. Verses 3 through 8 are what God is going to do. Who is the subject of all these sentences? Who restores the fortunes of Israel? Who has compassion, gathers those he has scattered? Who brings back the people into the land? Yeah, the leading actor in this text uh, needs no help from us and little introduction. He is the Lord your God. He's the main mover. He's the one who holds all the cards. He's the one who's sovereign over all. And to what end? Like, what, how is God using all that power For what purpose? Is it to benefit himself? Look back at the verses. Direct objects. He restores the fortunes of his people. He has compassion on them. He gathers those he has scattered so that they can take possession of the land, being free from attacks from the threats of their enemies. He causes them to prosper and multiply them more than ever before. And then finally, he places the curses on their enemies uh, that were once on them. Justice is served for God's people. Because of God, he does it all. This is how God always uses his power to bless his people's socks off. But before we think of God as a genie in a bottle, uh, cosmic vending machine, and I was... I think a lot of prosperity gospel preachers would go to this text, see, like, this is what God wants to do for you. No, we need to look more closely at this text. Look at verse six with me. Here we see the purpose of God's blessing. I'll read that verse again. The Lord, your God, will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all your heart and all your soul so that you will live. You know, the practice of... Circumcision for the people of Israel was a sign, an outward sign of God's covenant that they would be set apart as God's special people. Let's not get distracted by the outward sign, but instead consider what the sign is pointing to. In fact, in Deuteronomy, when Moses is retelling the law, He never talks about circumcision in terms of the physical act, the medical procedure, if you will. He never talks of it that way. He only talks about circumcision as a matter of the heart, the removal of our rebellious desire to stubbornly follow our own way. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, it says, circumcise your hearts, you stiff-necked people. And here we see Though, that because of Israel's inability to do that, they will be unable to circumcise their own hearts. So God's going to take over the circumcising duties. And in other words, he's going to do the heart surgery that will save his people from their sin. You know, maybe you're just visiting with us today, so glad that you joined us, and you thought, wow, I did not expect this, uh, a sermon on circumcision uh, here in 2024. Now, we don't talk about circumcision every Sunday, just to be clear. But what we preach and seek to make clear every Sunday is the reality, the spiritual reality that Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 points to. Because right here, at the conclusion of the law, Moses preaches the gospel. He preaches the good news of Jesus Christ. He's not preaching that God helps those who help themselves. No, he's speaking of a future day when God will do something more incredible than the 10 plagues in Egypt, then leading his people through the Red Sea, then speaking from Mount Sinai and giving God's people the law. He speaks of a coming day when all can know God, not just the people of Israel, but people of every tribe and tongue. No matter your religious background or lack thereof, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter what you think of yourself, God has sent his spirit so that you might have a new heart that puts your confidence in God's son and not in yourself. That's what Moses is talking about. Jeremiah and Ezekiel will pick up this promise, talk about this new covenant, this new heart. God will replace that heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. That is a heart that responds to God's spirit. It's sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And God the Son established that new covenant when he came in the person of Jesus Christ by pouring out his life, being cut off from the father when he suffered on the cross. The son became cursed in our place, in the place of sinners and rose again so that you and I could have this heart that rejoices in our repentance, that rejoices in turning from our sin and turning back to God and love and obedience. Kids, this is for you too. God isn't concerned as much with your... He's not concerned with your outward behavior as much as He's concerned with your heart. You know, I'll be honest with you kids. I, I know what it's like to grow up in the church and know what's expected of me. And, and as a pastor... I can know what I need to say and how I need to act in in order to look like a good Christian. It can be tempting to just play the part, to play the role. And sometimes we just want to please our parents and the people around us. But what we want most for you, what the Lord wants, is not just your outward good behavior. The Lord wants your heart. And he promises to give that to all who come to him in faith, who humbly come to an end of themselves and say, I need help. I have a heart that on its own is set on just serving me and just being concerned about me. But the Lord changes us from the inside out. The sign that God has changed our hearts is not just rule-following. Look and see in verse 6 what the sign is that someone has had this medical procedure on their heart. And you will love him with all your heart and all your soul so that you will live. You know, once again, just like we considered in verses 1 and 2, that can raise some doubts in our hearts. We're like, do I really love God like this? Now, it can be easy to become insecure when we hear these words. But once again, take comfort in who is doing this. Who is it who acts for our good? It's the Lord alone. So let's let go of our self-justification and self-doubt and instead put your confidence in the Lord who does the work. If he is your God, you are secure in him. As Robert Murray McShane has said, and I've said from this pulpit many times, for every one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. You need no longer judge yourself by your feelings, by comparing yourself to others, or by the way that the world judges. Call on the Lord and ask him to do what you cannot do for yourself. And then verse 8 comes along doesn't beat us over the head and say, okay, now do better in obedience. It speaks of one whose heart has been made new, a heart that's been changed. When the Lord gives you a new heart, then you will again obey him and follow all his commands I'm commanding you today. So friends, hear me clearly. This sermon can't make you love God more. (laughs) This church actually can't make you love God more. You won't please God by trying really hard uh, to be a good Christian, a good person. Uh, Even for the most self-controlled, most focused, disciplined person in this room, you can't please God. You can't love him unless the Lord gives you a new heart, unless the Lord does this work in you. You know, this hits close to home. My, uh, I grew up in a great Christian family, as many of you know. My, my parents were the genuine article, people who, who truly loved the Lord, loved the church, loved God's word. And I was so blessed to grow up in, in really good churches where I, I heard the gospel every Sunday. And I'm the oldest of four, and my, my, young, my youngest sibling, my sister Anna, um, she was right there with us, you know, in church every Sunday. We had verses, all of us kids, we had verses memorized, our theology down. Um, and we just assumed we were all Christians. You know, of course, we're Christians, you know. Um, but my, my sister's story is that her, her assumption that she was a Christian uh, kind of blew up after college When she came to a very simple realization, she's like, hmm, I don't think about God very much. Like, really, other than Sunday, doing that kind of that transactional thing, I don't really think about God that much at all. Uh, She realized she couldn't honestly describe herself as someone who loved God. So God woke my sister Anna up. She returned to the Lord. She came to Christ, praise God. She was was baptized, and she's been walking with the Lord ever since. Praise God that he promises to do for his children the one thing necessary, to give us hearts made new by the Spirit, a heart that longs to obey all that Christ has commanded. And I will say, a new heart isn't perfect. It doesn't happen all at once sometimes. It can be a process. I know that's more of my story, but the Lord will bring us to that place. He promises to give us a heart that will one day love him with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. God's Promise to give us a new heart that loves and obeys him gives us the confidence that we need to respond to him in repentance. God is the one who changes us from the inside out and empowers our repentance. And so it's not finally about white-knuckling it, but trusting that God will accomplish his purposes in us. The, f- the final aspect of how God's promise empowers our repentance and what we want to consider last is What motivates God to do all this? uh, To fulfill his promises in us. And that brings us to our third and final point not duty, but delight. Listen as I read verses 9 and 10. The Lord your God will make you prosper abundantly in all the work of your hands, your offspring, the offspring of your livestock, and the produce of your land. Indeed, the Lord will again delight in your prosperity as he delighted in that of your fathers when you obey the Lord your God by keeping his commands and statutes that are written in this book of the law and return to him with all your heart and with all your soul. You know, after maybe considering verses three through eight, you might conclude, well, okay, I just got to let go and let God just fully surrender to him. And uh, we'll be good. I don't have to, I just don't need to worry about my sins. But here in these last few verses, we see that it's a little more nuanced than that. Uh, It's the Lord's delight to bless his people. And therefore it must be our delight. The way we respond to his delight is by by delighting in obeying him. But the focus here is God's delight. Did you see that? In verse nine, we see that the Lord plans to bless his people once more after they return to him. Just as God had delighted to rescue his people out of slavery in Egypt, so the Lord plans to rescue his people spiritually and bless them in great prosperity. You know, let me just briefly illustrate uh, how the Lord takes delight how he takes joy in blessing his people by just an illustration of contrast, okay? So let's say I was a father who worked really hard to provide for my kids and my family. You know, I was, I was making sure, I, I was like, you know, I have one job, I'm gonna provide for my kids, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the Bible with them every night, I'm gonna pray for them. If they have, uh, if they have answers to questions, I'm, going to, I'm gonna give them a good answer. I'll be that model father, would those would all those things make me a good father well here in this text i think we see that god is much more than that kind of father he doesn't just work hard for his children he delights to bless them zephaniah 3 says he sings over us he laughs and delights in his children God is the kind of father, like the human father who dances with his children. He's the, father, the kind of father who gets down on the ground and gets close and is fully invested, who cries when we cry and rejoices when we rejoice. And most of all, the father delights when we delight in him. When we know great joy, because that is the greatest joy, to, to, know, to know him, to love him. And when we know the greatest joy, he delights in that. It was delight that caused the Lord to speak these words through Moses to Israel. The Lord delighted to build anticipation throughout his, the history of Israel And through the prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, to the day of fulfillment. And that day came when someone greater than Moses came to speak God's word to God's people. As we considered earlier, Moses fell short as God's prophet and representative. Even as Moses speaks these words, he's unable to go into the land with Israel because of his disobedience. But God sent someone better, better than Moses whose life and delight it was to obey God. In Luke 12, 32, Jesus tells the true children of Israel, don't be afraid, little flock. And you hear how the Lord speaks to his, his children? Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Christ came. Because it was the Lord's delight to give sinners like you and me the kingdom. Not a kingdom full of, of the blessings that we might want in this life of well-adjusted children, successful careers, clean houses, financial security, you fill in the blank. He came to give us something far better. He came to give us himself. This is what the, new, the promise of a new heart and this kingdom is all about. One less observation about the text. Did you notice how many times in these 10 verses Moses tells Israel that this is, this is all God's work? We've kind of covered that. or the Lord. But he isn't just God. He isn't just saying, yeah, God will do this. The Lord will do this. How, how does he say it? Moses said it's the Lord, all caps. That's the covenant name of God. God identifying with his people in covenant, faithful love. He doesn't just say the Lord, Lord, the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. Doubles down. The Lord, your God. Friends, if that was true for Israel, how much more true is it for us? who are in Christ. The Lord is our God, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So we might feel like spiritual failures today, and we are. We had one job and we failed miserably. We 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 turned from God and all his goodness and all his grace. And we went our own way. But the Lord in our sin offers us the one thing necessary. He gives us himself. He calls himself the Lord our God. And he gives us a heart that loves him. He gives us the kingdom because it's his delight to do so. So is it your delight to receive him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for you are the God who makes promises and you are the God who keeps promises every time. Lord, not one of your promises have failed. So we thank you for the assurance, for the confidence that we can have that because you are who you reveal yourself to be, a promise-making and a promise-keeping God that we can know security in your arms. Lord, because you have not stayed distant, but you have drawn near in the person of your Son, and you have sent your Spirit so that we might know you and love you. So, Lord, we praise you this morning. And, Lord, we pray that you would take our broken hearts, our hearts that are so often self-serving, and that you would conform us into the image of your Son whom you love. And Lord, we thank you that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, uh, there is no condemnation. Oh Lord, help us to walk as heavenly citizens worthy of the gospel, uh, worthy of this calling. And Lord, when we recognize our failure, may we look up and see Christ our advocate interceding for us. So, Lord, we thank you for the gift of a new heart and a kingdom that will be ours, and it's only a matter of time when we know it in full. So, Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.